Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Supergenes that lock inherited traits together are widespread in nature. They have both benefits and risks, and they're complex. That's next. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. Thousands of miles from home in the steamy Amazon rainforest in the mid-1800s, British naturalist Henry Walter Bates had a problem. More than one, really. There were thumb-sized biting insects, the ever-present threat of malaria, venomous snakes, and mold and mildew that threatened to overtake his precious specimens before they could be shipped back to England. But the nagging scientific problem that bothered him involved butterflies. Bates had noticed that some of the brightly colored Heliconius butterflies in the forest didn't flit about like the rest. They moved more slowly, so he captured them and examined them under his makeshift microscope. That's when he discovered that they weren't really Heliconius at all, but astonishing lookalikes from unrelated families of butterflies. By the time Bates' discovery reached the scientific community in England, Charles Darwin's then-new proposal of natural selection could explain why this brilliant mimicry occurred. Birds and other predators avoid Heliconius butterflies because they're toxic to eat, with a bitter taste. The mimics weren't toxic, but because they looked so much like the foul-tasting Heliconius, they were less likely to be eaten. The closer the resemblance, the more potent the protection. What Bates and many later evolutionary biologists couldn't explain was how this mimicry was possible. Getting the right shades of aquamarine and fiery orange in the right places on the wings required a constellation of precisely tuned genes. These traits would have to be inherited with the perfect fidelity, generation after generation, to preserve the Heliconius disguise. Maybe real Heliconius butterflies could afford to deviate a bit in coloration because their toxins could still teach predators to stay away in the future, but the mimics needed to be consistently flawless replicas. Yet the random reshuffling and remixing of traits in sexual reproduction should have quickly disrupted the essential coloring patterns. Today we know that in many species, the answer is supergenes, stretches of DNA that lock several genes together into a single inheritable unit. Marta Sodeland, a molecular ecologist at the University of Agder in Norway, calls them a wild card. She says supergenes have the obvious advantage of allowing for rapid adaptation, but she says there's still a lot we don't know yet. Supergenes once seemed like an evolutionary oddity, but the rise of genetic sequencing has shown that they're far more common than researchers believed. Not all supergenes may serve a function, but work in just the past few years has revealed that traits in a wide range of animal and plant species might be driven by these groups of genes that function like a single gene. Here's evolutionary biologist Emma Burdan of the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. 
super genes can sort of solve this age-old problem where you have two different habitats that might have very different phenotypes that are adapted in these. These are suites of traits, you know, not just tall or short, but whole groupings of coloration and maybe behavior and all of that. And if you have gene flow between these populations, keeping those whole groupings of traits or suites of traits together is a huge problem. And this has been recognized for a really long time. Supergenes help wild sunflowers adapt to a range of environments, such as sand dunes, coastal plains, and barrier islands. In other families of plants, they produce subtle but important variations in their sexual organs and fertility that help to prevent inbreeding. Recent research shows that in some fire ant species, supergenes determine which type of social organization predominates. In other words, whether a colony has a single breeding queen or more than one, or whether it produces more males or females. In humans, specific supergenes haven't been confirmed, but researchers have found likely candidates. Supergenes also seem to hold explanations for many long-standing mysteries of evolution. This includes how species can sometimes adapt to new environments rapidly, how populations can sometimes evolve in different directions, even while living close together, and why some species have balanced lethal systems of breeding, such that they must have two different versions of a chromosome to survive. But supergenes aren't all-powerful. Recent work on the evolution of supergenes is painting a nuanced picture of their effects. These theoretical models and studies of real populations have shown that supergenes often accumulate harmful mutations far more rapidly than other pieces of DNA do. This can gradually lead to degenerative effects that undermine the original benefits. The definition of a supergene is rather technical, and scientists still argue about its finer points, even though the concept has been around since the 1930s. But evolutionary biologist Simon Martin of the University of Edinburgh says at its simplest level, a supergene is a group of genes that are inherited together as a unit, often with a lot of other non-coding DNA. You can continue to produce two distinct traits with multiple genes and not have to worry about them becoming jumbled up. That jumbling often occurs during the production of egg cells and sperm. In that process, the maternal and paternal copies of chromosomes line up and randomly swap segments of DNA in a ballet called recombination. Recombination hedges nature's bets about the value of different permutations of genes. It boosts genetic diversity and helps weed out harmful mutations. The superpower of supergenes is that they block this. Katie Lauterhouse is an evolutionary marine biologist at Northeastern University. A supergene can be something that is an inversion. It could be a translocation. It could be sex chromosomes that don't recombine. So they're usually characterized by this lack of recombination between different genetic arrangements at that place in the genome. That means those parts of the chromosomal DNA don't align with a partner, which means they're far less likely to recombine. That lack of recombination 
effectively reduces gene flow between those arrangements in that area of the genome. So it's like you have two fish and there's this barrier between them that they can't exchange genetic material between. But Lauterhouse says that barrier is only in that one place and not in other parts of their genome. In the 1970s, researchers showed that this mechanism led to the evolution of Y-sex chromosomes from X chromosomes in mammals. Sex chromosomes are essentially supergenes run amok. Both supergenes and sex chromosomes exist because there's sometimes a benefit to having some sets of genes inherited together, says Deborah Charlesworth, one of the evolutionary geneticists who pioneered the sex chromosome studies and who recently retired from the University of Edinburgh. In those cases, she says it would be ideal to not have any recombination, but to have the things that go well together stuck together for good. To understand why that might be advantageous, think about doing laundry. Say you have a basket of white towels and a basket of red towels. Recombination does the equivalent of tossing both loads into the same drum, flipping on the hot water and pressing start. What results is a bunch of pink towels. But evolutionary biologist Emma Burdan says the evolutionary equivalent of pink towels often isn't a problem. A blending of traits can be beneficial. Sometimes, though, life benefits from keeping its genetic laundry separated. Remember the Heliconius butterfly mimics that Henry Walter Bates found? He realized that for them, having a mix of color splashes from different genes could be disastrous. The butterflies only reap the reward of mimicry if they look enough like Heliconius to fool predators. That's why many researchers have been probing how supergenes arise and what the consequences for species might be as their supergenes continue to evolve. Tanya Slota is an evolutionary geneticist at Stockholm University. She studies supergenes in plants. Figuring out the origin of a supergene is one of the most challenging questions, I think. And it's not a given that that's even always possible. But we have started to make more progress on that front. In one recent effort, Katie Lauterhouse built a computer model to study the first tentative steps taken on the path from inversion to supergene. Her model was published in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society B in August 2022 as part of a special issue on supergenes. It showed that the larger the initial DNA flip-flop, the more likely a supergene was to evolve. The reason was simple. A larger inverted fragment of DNA is more likely to capture multiple genes and lock them together as a single entity. Any beneficial mutations arising within the inversion could then promote its spread as a supergene. But the more important insight from Lauterhouse's model was that inversions themselves do not necessarily provide an evolutionary advantage. If a suite of genes is already well adapted to its surroundings, locking it into an inversion will not suddenly allow it to take off as a supergene. That fact may help to explain why complex vital traits aren't routinely secured as supergenes. Ordinary selection pressures are often sufficient to preserve the traits. 
The question of whether an adaptation precedes an inversion or vice versa is sort of like the question about which came first, the chicken or the egg, says Lauterhouse. There is still a lot of debate in the literature about what comes first, the inversion or the adaptation. And our theory shows it's probably a little bit of both at the same time. There are conditions where it is clearly like the inversion came first and the adaptation came later. And there's definitely conditions where the adaptation came first and the inversion came later. Supergenes offer robust advantages in the inheritance of adaptive traits, but they come at a cost. Think back to the laundry analogy. Washing red and white towels in a single load does eliminate the color differences between the two sets of linens. However, if you rip or stain a pink towel, you have an identical pink towel you can use as a backup. If one copy of a chromosome picks up a harmful mutation that breaks a gene, a functioning backup copy is likely to be on the matching chromosome to help the organism survive. And since recombination ensures that the mutation is inherited independently of other genes, natural selection can weed out the mutation over time. But for supergenes, that isn't true. They rarely recombine, so any harmful mutations they acquire tend to stay in place. That means the benefits of supergenes could be accompanied by significant disadvantages. For example, Burdan and Benjamin Wielstra of the Institute of Biology Leiden in the Netherlands looked at a salamander known as the crested newt. They found half of the eggs it lays aren't viable because of all the mutations that have built up in one supergene. Their supergenes seem to be holding back their reproductive success. Supergenes can also complicate the process of mating. In some species, supergenes create a breeding system that in effect has four sexes. For example, because of a supergene in the North American birds called white-throated sparrows, there are two morphs with different coloration and behaviors. Not only do males have to find females, but they must find a partner from the opposing morph. Otherwise, offspring will die either from inheriting supergenes from both parents or from inheriting none. Only chicks that receive a balanced lethal inheritance of one supergene and one ordinary segment of chromosome survive. With such a steep price, Emma Burdan says it's a wonder that supergenes evolved at all. Any sort of polymorphism is going to be really hard to maintain especially over millions of generations. And so that's one of the big mysteries of supergenes is that how are these polymorphisms maintained over such a long period of time? Burdan suggests that multiple types of selection might be working together to preserve supergenes and that certain environments might be most conducive to their persistence in the population. Ironically, one of the mechanisms that can sometimes preserve supergenes seems to be recombination, the phenomenon that they normally resist. Amanda Laraquinte, an evolutionary geneticist at the University of Rochester, and her co-authors described such a case in April of 2022 in eLife. Laraquinte wasn't initially interested in supergenes or their evolutionary costs, her focus was on selfish genes, segments of DNA that proliferate in populations without benefiting their hosts. 
She was fascinated by a selfish gene called segregation distorter, or SD, which arises in certain fruit flies in Zambia. It's a sperm killer, and it exists in pretty much all natural populations that we've looked at across its geographic range. But it only kills sperm that doesn't carry a chromosome with segregation disorder. Sometime within the last 3,000 years, one version of SD ensnared a large piece of chromosomal DNA, creating a supergene known as SD-MAL that spread to fruit fly populations throughout Africa. Lara Quinte calls it the ultimate selfish gene. DNA sequencing and analysis by Lara Quinte, David Pressgraves, and their colleagues showed that chromosomes with SD-MAL accumulate harmful mutations, as predicted by the near-complete lack of recombination between SD-MAL and its sister chromosome. But the researchers didn't find as many mutations as they expected. They discovered that the reason for that is that occasionally a fly will inherit two chromosomes with SD-MAL, and those two supergenes are just similar enough to allow some recombination between them. That recombination, in turn, makes it possible for a few harmful mutations to be purged from the fly's supergenes over time. Here's Lara Quinte again. As it turns out, just a little bit of recombination is enough. Lara Quinte and Pressgraves are now looking for other SD supergenes in wild fruit fly populations for clues to the evolution and impacts of supergenes more generally. Their results show that the purifying effects of recombination on genomes never cease to be important. The complex traits that the stable, predictable inheritance of supergenes makes possible may be invaluable in helping species adapt, but even the supergenes can benefit from mixing things up once in a while. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Carrie Arnold's full article, How Supergenes Fuel Evolution Despite Harmful Mutations, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Read about the surprising origins of life's complexity in the Quanta book, Alice and Bob Meet the Wall of Fire, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. Music